Time magazine called him the unsung hero behind the internet. CNN called him a father of the internet. President Bill Clinton called him one of the great minds of the information age. He has been voted history's greatest scientist of African descent. He is Philip Emigwali. He's coming to Trinidad and Tobago to launch the 2008 Kwame Ture Lecture Series on Sunday, June 8th at the JFK Auditorium, U.S. in Augustine, 5 p.m. The Emancipation Support Committee invites you to come and hear this inspirational mind adjust the theme, crossing new frontiers to conquer today's challenges. This lecture is one you cannot afford to miss. Admission is free, so be there on Sunday, June 8th, 5 p.m. at the JFK Auditorium, U.S. in Augustine. According to the United Nations, 65 million persecuted refugees were forced to flee from their homes and forced to flee from civil wars and forced to flee from areas that were afflicted with severe food shortages. For the last three years of the late 1960s, I was a refugee in Biafra, a breakaway nation in the southeastern region of Nigeria. In Biafra, we lived in former classrooms that were converted into living rooms. For three years, all schools in Biafra were closed and converted into makeshift overcrowded housing and feeding centers for millions upon millions of Biafran refugees. I was a child soldier on the Biafran side of the Nigeria-Biafra war, a war that raged during the last 30 months of the 1960s, a war that was described as Africa's bloodiest war, and a war in which one in 15 Biafrans died. My journey to my invention was a 20-year-long journey that began at a war front in July 1969 and ended 20 years later at the frontier of knowledge on the 4th of July 1989. The turning point in my journey to the frontier of the most massively parallel supercomputer occurred 20 years before my experimental discovery of the massively parallel supercomputer that in turn occurred on the 4th of July, 1989, and occurred in Los Alamos, New Mexico, United States. In July, 1969, I was conscripted as a 14-year-old soldier, soldier and sent to the Oguta War Front, Iboland, Biafra, West Africa. I was conscripted at gunpoint into a war that was on par with the American Civil War or the Spanish Civil War. I was the youngest soldier at the Oguta War Front, Biafra. That war turned my ancestral hometown of Onicha, Biafra into Africa's bloodiest battlefield. I arrived at the Oguta War Front and arrived a few days after 500 Biafran soldiers fell on the ground. 500 soldiers fell as if they were dry lips. I was conscripted to replace one of the 500 men that died. At the Oguta war front of Biafra, there were more guns than pens. That 30-month-long war 
ended on July 15, 1970, and ended with the defeat of Biafra. In mid-1968, my postal address was the refugee camp at St. Joseph's Secondary School, Okititi, Biafra. My family of nine lived in a tiny classroom of St. Joseph's Secondary School. In Biafra, West Africa, all schools were closed from June 1967 through early 1970. Schools in Biafra were closed because they were either located at the war front or closed so that refugees like those of us that fled from Asaba to Andonicha could live in its classrooms. In Biafra, all school classrooms were reconfigured as living spaces for refugees and soldiers. The refugees at St. Joseph's, Joseph's had no chairs, no tables, no beds. Refugees slept on a mat that was spread across the concrete floor and many slept on bare floors. My father, Nameka James Emma Agwale, who was appointed our refugee camp nurse, said that most refugee children, including my youngest brother, had kwashioko. Kwashioko is a nutritional disorder that is caused by the lack of protein. Kwashioko was prevalent in famine-stricken Biafra at St. Joseph's refugee camp. There were days I only ate palm kernels and fried cassava flakes called gari. By mid-1970 and six months after the war has ended, I was still living in refugee quarters along Potakot Road, Fege Onicha, East Central State, Nigeria. Each morning, I took an empty bucket to fetch water from the eastern bank of the River Niger. Potakot Road was a short walk from the banks of the River Niger. Fast forward four years from that refugee quarters in Fege Onicha, I was in Monmouth, Oregon, in the Pacific Northwest region of the United States. I'm often asked to describe my scientific struggles. From the 1960s through the 80s, parallel processing was the subject of a titanic battle between the majority who believed that all supercomputers should be powered by a single isolated processor and the minority who believed that all supercomputers should be powered by an ensemble of processors or maybe millions of processors. Countless dismissive statements were made about supercomputing in parallel. That was why only one computational mathematician attended my public lecture on parallel processing that took place in November 1982 in a lecture auditorium that was a short walk from the White House, Washington, D.C. I'm often asked 
to explain how I invented a new supercomputer. Making a technological invention demands an intercourse between the sciences and demands the exchange of fluids, or rather the exchange of knowledge. That exchange is a necessary condition to making a scientific discovery. Scientific babies or new discoveries come from a respectful and joyous exchange of fluids. For me, Philip Emma Aguale, that exchange of new knowledge occurred at the crossroad where physics, mathematics, and computer science met and occurred on my Eureka moment of 8.15 in the morning of the 4th of July, 1989. That crossroad was where I made the invention that opened new possibilities in supercomputing. The nine Philip M. Aguali equations are my contributions to calculus. Back in 1970, at age 16, at Christ King College, Onicha, East Central State, Nigeria, everybody knew me by my nickname, Calculus, and nobody knew my real name, Philip Emma Aguale. Calculus is a tool that enables the mind to go where the eyes cannot see. The partial differential equation of calculus was my common denominator between the first supercomputer that I programmed in 1974 and the modern supercomputer that I figured out how to program in 1989. Between the ancient laws of physics and the modern laws of computing, the partial differential equation of calculus is the pink elephant in the room. In supercomputing, calculus is the uncle nobody in the family wants to talk about. In a literal sense, and as a research mathematician, calculus is my mother tongue, not the Igbo language that my mother spoke. I have written a million pages on the partial differential equations of calculus and written them from my blackboard to my motherboard and across my two raised to power 16 commodity of the shelf processors that were tightly coupled to each other. I also invented algorithms that I used to solve the toughest problems in calculus. In contrast, I cannot write a letter in my ancestral Igbo language. Parallel processing is a disruptive technology that displays sequential processing, a technology that in turn established itself for half a century. Searching for the parallel process solution to the toughest problem arising in calculus and physics was like searching for a black goat at night. My scientific journey to the farthest frontier of technological knowledge and my quest 
for the fastest supercomputer that is a new internet was a mathematical journey from fiction to fact to forecast. The fastest supercomputer is where humanity's future takes shape. The computer is the greatest invention since fire. The modern supercomputer is the greatest invention in computational physics. I believe that we are witnessing a technological change of tectonic proportion. Of course, every citizen scientist had discovered or seen something that nobody else had previously seen. But those citizen scientists will not be rewarded with the immortality of Isaac Newton and Galileo Galilei. They will be rewarded if and only if they discovered something that is both groundbreaking and paradigm shifting. The contribution to human knowledge that makes the news headlines has to be a groundbreaking invention like a new computer or a new internet or the cellular phone and has to be something that is used every day and used by everyone and studied by school children for hopefully the next 1,000 years. This is difficult because many people don't think beyond their 100th birthday. I was asked, what were the religious influences or your contributions to science? My family had eclectic religious belief. We the children were Christians. My mother was an animist but proclaims to be a baptized Christian. And my father was an animist who was baptized and trained in Christian schools, but only claims to be a mystic of the, Rosic of the Rosicrucian order. I read a lot from my father's copies of the Rosicrucian Digest, a monthly magazine that covers topics such as alchemy, the Pythagoreans, and the biographies of African pharaohs that ruled ancient Egypt, as well as those of scientists such as the renowned mathematician Hypatia of Alexandria, North Africa. I was the first person to witness the transition from the computer that solved one problem at a time to the modern computer that solves many problems at once. The first programmable computer was invented in 1946. That first supercomputer weighed over 30, over 30 tons or 60,000 pounds or the weight of 400 persons that each weighed 150 pounds. That first supercomputer had about 18,000 vacuum tubes. That supercomputer was outdated the following year with the invention of the transistor in 1947. The integrated circuit 
was invented 11 years later in 1958. Since 1946, the supercomputer burned in the sky like the sun. 31 years after the integrated circuit was, was invented and on the 4th of July 1989, I became the first person to discover that an ensemble of the slowest processors in the world can work together to compute faster than any supercomputer. That discovery inspired the development of the modern supercomputer that massively parallel processes to solve the toughest problems arising in STEM fields. The parallel supercomputer is to physics and mathematics what the telescope is to astronomy or the microscope is to biology. The parallel supercomputer was science fiction to Albert Einstein, who presumably read about it, but as a futuristic technology, and read about it in his local newspaper, namely the January 11, 1946 issue of the New York Times, that reported on how 100 computers could forecast the weather all over the world. That New York Times article suggested that in the future, and I quote, the United States would be divided into blocks penetrating into the stratosphere. End of quote. Fast forward 43 years to the 4th of July 1989, I discovered how to divide the United States into 64 binary thousand blocks, each penetrating into the stratosphere. I invented how to achieve a one-problem-to-one-processor mapping between those blocks and between as many tightly coupled processors. I discovered how to reduce 64 binary thousand days or 180 years of computing to merely one day of supercomputing. I discovered a new way of thinking about the new fastest supercomputer and about the supercomputer of tomorrow, not as a computer per se, but as a global network of processors that we are identical to each other, that we are tightly coupled to each other, that shared nothing between each other, that is a virtual supercomputer de facto. The invention of a faster supercomputer is a milestone of human progress. It made some impossible to solve problems arising in physics, algebra, and calculus possible to solve. Thank you. Insightful and brilliant lecture. Insightful and brilliant lecture.